I invite you to turn your Bibles now to the book of Philippians. If you're still in Ephesians, you're almost there already. Philippians chapter 2. We'll be focusing on verses 9 to 11 of Philippians chapter 2 this morning. And of course today, what we are doing is we are celebrating and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And whether this morning your heart is full of hope and optimism, or whether your heart is heavy and grieving and brokenhearted, we have not only reason, but need to remember the resurrection, to proclaim that Jesus is risen and alive, never to die again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands at the heart of the Christian faith and at the heart of God's great work of redemption. The whole story of the Bible, the story of God saving sinful, rebellious, and broken creatures, turns on the death of Jesus in the place of sinners and his resurrection from the dead on the third day. These are the things that the Bible says are of first importance. And this is the message about our God and Savior that we are called to believe. For everyone, the Bible says, who turns from their sin and calls upon the Lord Jesus in faith will be saved. Which means you'll be reconciled to God and forgiven of your sin and have the privilege of living in God's presence in a new creation forever. So the death of Jesus, we know, is not the end of the story by any means. But neither is the resurrection. All four of the Gospels reach their their climax, their apex, with the death of Jesus on the cross and then the empty tomb on the third day. But the story doesn't stop there either. We focus rightly on Jesus' death and rightly on Jesus' resurrection. But then what? What happened to Jesus next? Where is Jesus now? And what does all of that mean for us? There's a sense in which the resurrection of Jesus was an end. It it was the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. After He rose from the dead and He spent about 40 days ministering to His disciples, teaching them, uh, appearing to them, showing them that He had been bodily raised from the dead. And so it brought an end to His earthly ministry, but it was also the beginning of the next chapter of the story. And we will see this morning more of what that new beginning is. So let's look together at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. There the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Paul says here in this passage is that God has highly exalted Jesus. And he says that he has highly exalted Jesus because 
of something he has just told us. That word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 9, is the hinge, not only of this passage, but is the hinge of the story of Jesus. What Paul said in verses 6 and 7 and 8 is that Jesus, before he took on flesh, before he was born as a man, he was in the form of God. And that doesn't mean that he was like God. It means he was equal with God. Because Paul goes on to say that the Son of God, right, who took on flesh, he, he was in the form of God and he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to. But instead, Paul says, he emptied himself. He, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He didn't quit being God, but he became man. He added to his deity humanity. He was born of a virgin. He became a man. He became a servant. And Paul says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death and death on a cross. So the Son of God, the eternal Son of God who'd always existed, humbled himself came down to earth, was born as a man, lived as a servant, obeyed his Father, went to the cross, suffered and died one of the most humiliating deaths it is possible to endure, suffered that in our place for our sin so that we might be saved. And Paul says it is because he did that that God has highly exalted him. Because he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, God has highly exalted him. Because he emptied himself and took the form of a servant, God has highly exalted him. Because he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, God has highly exalted him. And before we stop to think about what it means... That God has highly exalted him and how he has highly exalted him. It's worth reminding ourselves that this is not only what God did for his son. This is the kind of thing God does. Paul tells us, reminds us of this story of Jesus. Of him humbling himself and then being exalted. He tells us this story in order to... Remind us of the example of Jesus so that we might follow in his steps. He wants us to be humble too. In the first part of Philippians chapter 2, he's calling on the church to be united, to be of one mind, to be in harmony with one another. And you can't do that if you're proud and selfish. And so Paul says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He says in verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he's not throwing this out at random. This is not just Paul's idea of how things ought to work. He says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us this story of how Jesus humbled himself and then was exalted. In other words, we are to follow the example of Jesus. We are to humble ourselves as Jesus humbled himself. And the Bible tells us that if we humble ourselves like Jesus humbled himself, then God will exalt us too. 
Now, of course, we're not going to be exalted as highly as Jesus for one reason, because we're not God. We don't deserve to be exalted as highly as Jesus. And the second reason is we can't humble ourselves as lowly as Jesus did. So we can't be exalted as high as he was. None of us start out in the form of God. We can't go as low as he did because we don't start as high as he did. And so we won't end up as high as he did. But the pattern holds all over the Bible. We're told that this is what God does. For example, in Luke 18, 14, Jesus says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And in Luke 14, 11, he says, Likewise, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In James 4, 6, James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. A few verses later in James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. And finally, in 1 Peter 5.6, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. So this is not just what God did with Jesus. Jesus is modeling for us what we are supposed to do. And what God did for Jesus, God will do for us. If we trust Him and follow in His steps. If we humble ourselves, if we become servants, if we serve one another and love one another, then we too will be exalted by God in due time. Now, how was Jesus exalted? You might be looking at this passage and think, this is an interesting text for Easter because I don't even see the word resurrection in there. Right? If you read verse 9 and verse 10 and verse 11, the word resurrection is not in there. But the idea is there because how was Jesus exalted? Verse 8 ends with him being crucified. And then verse 9 says he was exalted and he goes on to say, Uh, He was given the name of every name, and that every knee is going to bow before Him, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So clearly Jesus is not still dead. Can't be exalted while you're in the tomb. So Paul is assuming, when he says God exalted Him, God highly exalted Him, he's assuming that we know the rest of the story. So let's remind ourselves what the rest of the story is. How did God exalt Jesus? Well, of course, it starts with his resurrection. He would not be exalted at all if he was still dead. But God raised him from the dead on the third day. The women who went to the tomb to care for Jesus' body on Sunday, when they got there, what did they find? The stone had been rolled away. There was no body in the tomb. Jesus was gone because Jesus was alive. And then Jesus began to show himself to his disciples. And he showed them, look, I've got flesh and bone. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. He ate fish in front of them. He allowed them to touch him, to show them that he was really, truly, bodily alive. So when the Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost and Peter preached the gospel to a crowd of thousands... One of the things Peter said was, this Jesus, the one who had been crucified just about a month before, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, Peter said. And Paul says in Romans 1.4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power 
according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So his resurrection right, was a, a demonstration, a proclamation of who Jesus was and is. That he is truly the Son of God. But after he was raised from the dead, he didn't stay here, did he? As I mentioned earlier, he ministered to his disciples over a period of about 40 days. And then in the beginning of the book of Acts, he's teaching his disciples one more time. And then what happens? Acts 1, 9 to 11 says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is what we call the ascension of Jesus. Jesus had come down from heaven to be born as a man, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead. And once that work was complete, then he ascended back into heaven. He returned to his Father. And then, after he ascended into heaven, the Bible tells us he sat down at God's right hand. And that's where he is even now. We call this the session of Christ. You know how if you you watch a, a... court show or you you go have jury duty or something and and you're in a courtroom when the judge comes in bailiff says all rise right for the honorable judge and the judge comes in and then when the judge sits down what do we say court is now in session because the judge has been seated well Jesus is right now in his session. He is seated at the Father's right hand as the Lord and King of all the universe. And so if somebody asks you, where is Jesus right now? The answer to that question is very simple. He is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Seated, ruling, and reigning over all. Peter emphasized all three of these things when he preached on the day of Pentecost. He said, uh, after he said this, Jesus God raised up, and and of that we are all witnesses. He said, being therefore exalted, there's the same word Paul used, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter says, you crucified Jesus. I'm here to tell you he was raised from the dead. All of us who are gathered here, all the disciples, about 120 of them. He said, we're all witnesses that Jesus was raised from the dead. And... Where Jesus is right now is he has been exalted to God's right hand, so that implies he was ascended. And then he quotes Psalm 110, where David said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And that, Peter says, that's about Jesus, not about David. The Lord, the Father, said to my Lord, the Son, the Messiah, Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Peter says, you've all 
heard and seen that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on this day. You heard us speaking in all these different languages. And you're wondering how that happened. I'll tell you how it happened. The Jesus you crucified, God raised from the dead. He seated at God's right hand. And He has poured out from heaven the gift of the Holy Spirit. I've got bad news and good news. The bad news is the Jesus you killed is Lord. He is Messiah. He is King. But the good news is if you repent and believe and are baptized in His name, your sins will be forgiven and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul likewise talks about this exaltation of Jesus and its significance for us as his church, his body of believers. He's talking about the, uh, the immeasurable greatness of God's power, he says, toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, so there's the resurrection, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, so that's His session, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Here's part of why that's good news. Not only that Jesus has been raised from the dead and conquered death and conquered hell and conquered the grave, but also that He's been seated at God's right hand above all rule and authority and power. Here's part of why that's good news. There are a lot of powers in the world. A lot of authorities in the world. Some of them earthly. Some of them heavenly, many of them hostile toward us. But none of them are outside or above the authority of Jesus. There's not a worldly power, there's not a demonic power that has more power than Jesus, that has greater authority than Jesus. Jesus has been seated above every power Every authority, every name that is named or will be named, He rules over them all. And Paul says He has been given to the church. He says the Father put all things under His feet, under the Son's feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church. He is the ruler of all, and He is for us. He is ministering on our behalf. He is working for our good so that we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to fear those who have authority and power and would seek to use it against us because Jesus has already triumphed over them. And one day they will all be put finally and forever in their place. And Jesus, to whom all authority has been given, to whom all judgment has been given, will make sure that everything is set right, justice will be served, and in His great mercy, everyone who has willingly bowed their knee to Him and trusted in Him will be forgiven and pardoned, and there will be no condemnation for us. And there will be no one who can turn back His judgment, His pardon, His declaration of forgiveness because He's the judge. He's the King. 
There's no higher court of appeals. His word will stand. So that's what Paul assumes that we know when he says God has highly exalted him. He's raised him from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated him at the Father's right hand. And Paul says he's bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everyone, everywhere, every creature will one day, willingly or unwillingly perhaps, bow their knee to Jesus. There will be no exceptions. Everyone will bow before Jesus and everyone will confess that He is Lord. That He is the King. That He is the ruler. To the glory of God the Father, it says. But there's something else we need to notice about this. When Paul says that every knee will bow before Him and every tongue will confess to Him, he is quoting a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 45 is about the fact that there is only one God. Isaiah 45, God himself says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. What does that mean? Well, God was saying, I'm the only God. These other gods that the nations worship, they're not real gods. And so one day, everybody, everywhere, is going to have to bow before me and swear allegiance to me because I'm the only true God. And so you would be wise now to turn to me and be saved because you're going to have to stand before me one way or another in the end. What Paul is saying is that is true of Jesus. Jesus is the one God. Our one God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son and the Spirit are just as fully God and worthy of worship as the Father is. And so just as in the Old Testament, God said there's one God and everyone will bow before me and everyone will worship me. Paul says Jesus is God in the flesh. And one day, everyone will bow before Jesus. Everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord because Jesus deserves the worship and glory of all. Now, two more things about what this means for us. What does it mean for us that our Savior, our Lord, who left heaven for our sake, took on flesh, died, rose, and is even now seated at God's right hand and will one day return. What does all of that mean for us here and now? How we live here and now? First of all, if you have not turned to Jesus, we would call upon you to turn from your sin, confess your sin to Him, and, and trust Him so that you might be saved. But for those of us who are saved, two things I want to encourage you with. One, earlier in this letter, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, Only let your manner of life, the way you live, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. How can you stand firm side by side for the faith of the gospel when you have opponents? Sometimes opponents who are powerful. How do you do that? How do you have the courage to do that? How do you have the confidence to do that? The courage and confidence to stand united around the gospel of Christ in the face of opposition comes from knowing that Jesus has conquered death, that he's been raised from the dead, that he's alive today, and that right now he's seated at God's right hand and it's just a matter of time before he returns to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. If we know that's who he is, and we know that's where he is, and we know that's what he's going to do, then we can have courage to stand fast together around the gospel. And second of all, Paul says a little bit later in the letter, he reminds us, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, Paul says, Jesus' resurrection will one day mean our resurrection. When Jesus returns, our lowly bodies, our mortal bodies, our aging, breaking bodies will be transformed to be like Jesus' glorious body, immortal, imperishable, raised, so that we might live in the glorious presence of God forever. And if you think, I don't know, that, that, sounds, like, that sounds like a stretch. How could he do that? How could he have the power to do that? Paul says he will do it by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The king of the universe, who reigns over every authority and power, who upholds the universe by the power of his right hand, he has the power to transform our bodies, to raise our bodies, to make us fit to live in his presence forever. So let's not forget what Jesus did. But let's also not forget where Jesus is. Remember that God raised him from the dead and seated him at God's right hand. Remember that God highly exalted him and that one day all will bow to him and that he will come again for his church. Let's pray.